Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Hi, this is Michael Grant, young adult author. Well, not really young myself, but you know, I write for young adults. And you're listening to Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. And I'm Tony. And in this episode of Nerdy Show, we're going to be talking to Greg Weissman, creator of Gargoyles, co-creator of Young Justice. Showrunner for The Spectacular Spider-Man. And he's executive producer of the first season of Star Wars Rebels. But we're not here to talk about a television show. We're here to talk about his books. Surely you mean a comic book, something with pictures. Well, he has those too. But no, no, recently, in the past couple of years, Greg has put out a long gestating project called Reign of the Ghosts. So this is, there's no pictures. Not, no, not as such. They're in your mind. They're in my mind. Oh. Yeah. So Reign of the Ghosts and yep. Spirits of Ash and Foam, the second book in the series. Yes, yes. And it's a possible nine-book series. Oh, my. But uh, that is still TBD, except it's on the verge of a startling new project that's being funded on Kickstarter right now, an audio play of the first two books with a ludicrous cast. So not only are we going to be talking with Greg Weissman, but we're also going to be talking to one of the voice actors participating in this audio play from a cast of basically a who's who of noteworthy voices from all of Greg's various animation projects. In fact, the individual we'll be speaking to tonight, you might know as Blue Beetle or Jaime Reyes. From Young we Justice. Know as Eric Lopez. Yeah, so we're going to be talking to Greg Weissman and Eric Lopez in this episode. We're going to pick both of their brains. So to get you primed for this experience... Reign of the Ghosts is a young adult novel series, but of mm. course we know what that means in this day and age, what with the Harry Potters and the Hunger Games. And the Twilights. Twilight isn't young adult, is it? Judging by the amount of 13-year-old girls that bought that book while I was working at Target, I would argue that it is. Isn't it kind of porny? Very. But we're not here to talk about poorly written books. We're here to talk about Reign of the Ghosts and its protagonist, Rain Kasik. Yeah, this novel series, it takes you in a lot of different places. The first book is maybe quintessential of a young adult series, except that it's got some cool stuff going on in and around the main character who's a high school protagonist. But what's different about her is that she lives on a fictional Bahamian, I suppose, island yeah. chain. Basically, it's out in the Atlantic. It's tropical, but it doesn't exist. Greg made it up, which means that it gets to be extra cool and there's all kinds of creepy stuff that happens. There's it exists a... within the Bermuda Triangle. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. They're called the Prospero Keys, but they're better known as the ghosts by the people who live there and reign is Taino, which is one of the terms for the indigenous peoples of the Caribbean. 
Mm-hmm. And thanks to a Zemi, which is a totemic item imbued with ancestral spirits, she can see dead people. Wait a minute, is Bruce Willis in this book? Kind of. She has her own Bruce Willis, and that's her grandfather. While I enjoyed the first book, man, the second book, Spirits of Ash and Foam, you get a mermaid and a vampire all in one story, and they are nothing, nothing like you have ever, ever seen those mythological creatures ever presented before. Greg has tapped into something that is really representative of a culture and a heritage that doesn't get seen in popular media at all, and then spun it into a really remarkable and hyper-stylized slant to uh, mythological storytelling. So in other words, he wisemaned it, because that's what he's done with essentially every (laughs) single property he's ever taken on, where he's taken things that are known, things that aren't, woven them together with excellent characters, dialogue, and settings, and then provided some humor along the way. Yeah, I mean, if you're not familiar with Greg Weissman's work, you're probably starting to scratch your head. But suffice to say, with that list of programs that we listed earlier, that is some of the greatest dramatic animation programming that has ever existed. Unfortunately, he's just fraught with disaster when it comes to his shows. They get devoted fan followings, they're incredible while they last, and then something happens with the network and they get killed prematurely. Spectacular Spider-Man suffered from the fact that Disney bought Marvel and they wanted to bring everything in-house. All of a sudden, Ultimate Spider-Man's coming along and Spectacular doesn't quite fit into their web, if you will. Uh And then Young Justice, tragically, cut down after two seasons and the promise of Darkseid. Young Justice, easily the most popular DC animated program since Batman the Animated Series or or Justice League. The most popular DC anything since the New 52. That's true. Beloved by many and not by the networks and therefore ended. We've always been big supporters of Greg's work, so we're really thrilled at the prospect of him having a creator-owned work that hopefully can flourish, but we'll see. It's got two books out of nine, and now he's doing this Kickstarter to raise funds to do this audio play. And what's neat is it's actually recorded already. All of it's recorded. It's all done. The, the kickstarting is just there to help with the post-production work, getting everything edited, sound effects, a soundtrack, that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, original score. So that it's a proper dramatic story. It's almost an audio play. Much like, say, Dungeons and Doritos. (laughs) Yeah, well, no, I I love that Greg's doing this because if you're familiar with Nerdy Show's work, audio plays are very near and dear to our hearts. Like, that's our bread and butter. Literally. Figuratively. We've been turning our role-playing games into a full-fledged radio drama since about 2009. In fact, we just released the remasters of our first two episodes, but we'll talk more about that later. So we love a good audio play. And it's really cool that Reign of the Ghost is getting one. In, in fact, it, it kind of makes sense that it is because it started life as a TV series. Shut your mouth. I will not shut my mouth. Tell me more. <laughs> that was something that uh, Greg was working with, uh, I believe, DreamWorks on, and then eventually sold to Nickelodeon, and it didn't end up working out. He got the rights back. Uh, here we are. Yeah, here we are. What I don't know is uh, I don't know a lot of the details about how all that went down, and I don't know now that there's two books out, and the third book, Mask of Bones, is nowhere in sight. And then we've got the audio play. I don't know what his plan is. So I'm excited to talk with him and find out what exactly the big plan is for Reign of the Ghosts and, and how the audio plays factor into him doing more stories and all that. If we can say check the forecast for this Reign of Ghosts. Oh, God. But yes, we, <laughs> yes, we could 100% say that. <laughs> Here we are. So <laughs> before Tony reigns on our parade anymore, let's talk to Greg Weissman and Eric Lopez. Hi, this is Greg. Hi, this is Eric. And I'm excited. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) 
Guys, this is a, a pretty crazy thing you're doing with this audio play. In, insane cast. And, 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 My cast is insane. It is. <laughs> it's remarkable. I guess the big front-loaded question is, you've got these two books. What pushed you to enter into the realm of the audio play? Well, the shortest answer really is I wanted it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just really wanted to hear this thing come to life. But what I didn't want was a standard sort of audio book and I'm not knocking them because I love audiobooks. But the standard thing is to have one guy read all the voices, all the narration, no music, no sound effects. And I just couldn't see that working in particular for my book because the lead character is this young girl, but the narrator is a first person narration and it's an adult male. So I couldn't figure out how it would work to have this guy like me sit there and do the narration, and then every once in a while, squeeze his voice to do the little girl. You know, I mean, it would be awful. You know, I'm sorry, um, I think you mispronounced "awesome" right there. <laughs> I mean, yes, I agree with you. It is much, much better to create an audio play. But I'm kind of half tempted to be like, well, Craig, could you give us a little excerpt of what people don't want to hear? Can you tell them what they're <laughs> what they're fighting against here? <laughs> I'll do the entire interview in my 13 year old girl voice. <laughs> no, I really want. I really want. I don't know, it almost sounded like we but, were interviewing you know, Mickey Mouse. Certainly, depending on which narrator you wind up getting, there are many talented guys out there who could do a number of the voices and do them really well. But why would I do that when I got access to guys like Eric here who could come in and really play a character and just be that character? And then on top of it, once I sort of made that decision, I was like, well, let me just fall back on what I know, which is cast great people in these roles and put in music and sound effects, and basically what we wind up with isn't an audio book at all. It's a four-hour, unabridged, full-cast audio play. It's basically an animated movie with everything except the animation. <laughs> you know, so Give YouTube a it, week. That'll be fixed. <laughs> it just gives us something to really sink our teeth into, something that, at least in this market, is very different and very unique. They do this sort of thing in Great Britain all the time, Doctor Who, that kind of thing, big finish, you know. But in the U.S., we've sort of fallen out of the habit of doing this, and it seems a shame to me, among other things. But particularly for Reign of the Ghosts, I just thought, let's go for it. And I'm, I'm thankful you did it. It's funny because it actually kind of reminds me of a audiobook from when I was younger. You mentioned Great Britain, and they actually did a, a Hobbit audio play way back in the day, and that was my introduction to that world. So to see this book series coming to life with some of my favorite voice actors in it, I am really hoping that this thing gets funded, because I want to listen to it. I will contribute to it as much as I can. Well, that's kind of what we're hoping to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Reign of the Ghost is intended to be a nine-book series. You got two books out, and uh, the third book, Mask of Bones, to my knowledge, there's no release date for, so I know that sales were the motivating factor for whether or not there would be more books, but now there's this audio play as well. What's the Reign of the Ghost plan, and how does the audio play factor into it? The sales on the first two books weren't what we'd like to see them at. The reviews, with one notable exception, have all been really good. And anecdotally, the feedback I get is all strongly positive. But I won't deny I've had trouble sort of spreading the word about the book series, and it doesn't seem to have made much of a ripple out there. And so the sales are okay, but not so stellar that St. Martin's Press has ordered the third book. Now, they've also said to me they're not so bad that they're definitely ruling it out mm -hmm. either. 
but they're not quite at the level where we'd like to see them. So one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons we're doing this audio play is we're hoping that between the Kickstarter and the play itself, we'll attract more attention to the property as a whole, get more readers, get more sales. If St. Martin sees how this Kickstarter does, assuming we fund, then maybe they go, hmm, there's something to this. There are people who like this. Let's go for the third one. In the meantime, I'm going to write this third book ultimately, even if I have to self-publish. But what I've been doing is going slower on it because I'm hoping St. Martin's will pick it up. So I've been doing research on a slow burn while I've been doing other things like Star Wars Canaan, The Last Padawan, and, you know, this audio play. This is a significant thing that could really help the series as a whole. So I don't feel guilty about doing less work on book three if I'm working on this. Believe me, I have <laughs> um, we've recorded. As Eric can tell you, we've recorded all the voices. That's done. That's paid for. And this Kickstarter is not to fund the voice work. I paid for myself out of pocket. But the post-production, which includes music, sound effects, editing, mixing, actually creating this final product, that's very expensive. And that's what we need help for. And that's what the Kickstarter is designed to pay for. Was recording this audio play any different from recording, say, your average Greg Weissman animated production? Well, it was a little different because usually on all the projects I've worked on with Greg, we have the luxury of working with our co-stars. We're all in one big room and we all record and play off each other. And it's just so much better than having to record all your stuff by itself. We all went in separately on this project. But with Greg, and I mean, this is Greg's baby, so he knows exactly, you know, the soul of each character. And so it made it so much easier with him there. It would have been nice if we could have did it, you know, Young Justice or Spectacular Spider-Man style with everybody in there. <laughs> but I mean, that, there's so many different, yeah, I mean, so many people involved. It was just to getting everybody's schedules. It probably would have been hard to do that. There were a couple things. One, yeah, we have 20 actors in this radio play, and there aren't a lot of rooms in town. I mean, recording studios that can handle 20 actors at one time. Plus, everyone was really busy, and it's a union project, which I'm proud of. So everyone got paid, but let's be honest, they weren't paid a lot. <laughs> I mean, Eric's doing this is largely doing me a favor. So, you know, we had to accommodate everyone else's schedules. That was part of it. But the other part of it was really, we had a great recording studio with a fantastic engineer, but it was a small recording studio. That's what we could afford. We couldn't afford a huge room that would see even half our cast, 10 people. But we could fit up to three people in there. So for example... Brittany Womaleale, who plays Rain, and Brighton James, who plays her best friend Charlie, they almost always recorded together so that they could play off each other. We had scenes with Jacob Vargas, who plays Rain's grandfather, Sebastian, and he got in there and performed with Rain as well. So when we could, we did match up small groups of people together who had a lot of lines together, because I agree with Eric, it's much better when you have those actors playing off their co-stars and that kind of thing. Also, keep in mind, an animated episode, which still takes us about three hours to record for 22 minutes worth of screen time. And we were doing something that's basically four hours in length, more or less, by the time we'll be done. 
So, you know, that would have been one hell of a long session <laughs> <laughs> with 20 actors sure. in one room. I, I would probably have had to chain the door shut to keep them all in there. Well, the benefit to that was you could have filmed it and then sold it kind of like the documentary uh, Hearts of Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> that was plan B, but, you know, we decided to let our cast survive instead. Yeah, and no, no one ate soup made out of human that we know of. <laughs> Eric, you play Ramon Hernandez in the audio play, and it's a smaller role. As an actor, what do you go into with a smaller role? You just try to, you know, pull as much out of it as you can, you know, just make the biggest impression you can with what you got. And I, I think I did that. I think Greg uh, pointed out that he was kind of a meathead, you know, goofy kind of character. <laughs> so a little comic relief there. You know, he's kind of dumb. But still a good guy, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I went with Eric is because, you know, uh, Ramon is comic relief. He's kind of a jerk, but he's got to be funny enough, in some ways naive enough, that you don't hold it against him. You kind of want to spend some time with Ramon because he's sort of clueless and a bit of a, an ass, but still not a mean-spirited one. And I knew that Eric would be able to bring all that humanity to the part so that on the one hand, we do get the sense that he's a jerk. Um, but on the other hand, he's a fun jerk to be around because he's funny and uh, not intentionally funny. Uh, that is, Ramon's not intentionally funny, Eric. Is, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, Ramon's in a few scenes, but in particular, there's this scene in the car and at the gravesite that can be pretty intense. So what's great is having Ramon there who just, again, adds this different flavor to uh, the chemistry of the scene so that the scary parts are scarier, the tragic parts or the sad parts are sadder because there's this humor offsetting it. You use the turn of phrase, a different flavor, and I think that's pretty symbolic of the entire book series so far, with you sampling from so much Caribbean culture that just doesn't get shown in any level of pop culture, like all the Taino elements, the perspective of being a native in a tourist town, and of course, all the different folklore, there's a lot of different flavors in Reign of the Ghosts. That was important to me. I mean, diversity has always been a priority to me. I mean, you can see that going back to my work in Gargoyles and everything I've done since. And in particular, if you're going to set something in the Caribbean, which is an incredibly diverse place, you've got to make that place. So Reign herself is descended from the Taino people who were the pre-Columbian indigenous inhabitants of the Caribbean. Ramon and other characters like Marina and Miranda are Hispanic. Rain herself is bilingual. Rain's best friend, Charlie, is black. There are white characters in there, too. There are Asian characters. The idea is to reflect the world that we see. So you've got diversity of race, diversity of ethnicity, diversity of gender, of orientation, of age. And, you know, we even have the living challenged in this book. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not called Rain of the Ghost for nothing. You know. Especially in the second novel where we see your drastically different interpretations of mermaids and a vampire, it really impressed upon me just how deep you went into doing something significantly different with this book series. And being that it's so consciously different, I was wondering how has Rain of the Ghosts transformed since it was first developed as a show and now it's kind of background to being a show again, but one under your command. Well, I don't think it has transformed. It's definitely deepened. When I started on the project as an animated series and you think in terms of, okay, you got 22 minutes of 
screen time. So how much are we really going to be able to cover in that shorter period of time? Well, once you free yourself from that kind of time constraint and you're like saying, no, this is a novel. So we'll go as deep as we can and we want to. And the only inhibition to it really is I got nine books to write, so I don't want to spoil things too quickly. So if I don't reveal something, it's not because, gee, I don't have the screen time for it. I'm not revealing it because I'm saving that revelation for later. But the first book took us part of the way. I think the second book obviously goes way deeper, goes way further into the Taino mythology, which is this wonderful mythology, as rich and complex as Greek mythology or Norse mythology, and yet largely untouched by pop culture, if not entirely untouched by pop culture. And so you mentioned our version of the vampire and the mermaid and how different they are. And I think that's true. But the fact of the matter is, is I pulled this stuff right from the myth. <laughs> These are fascinating stories. You know, I have the benefit, in essence, of having this sort of virgin territory to explore because no one's bothered to explore it much up to this point. I'm sure there are scholars yeah. out there who have, but not from a pop culture standpoint. Yeah, that's one of the many things that I really appreciate about Greg's stuff. He's always like opening people up, not just like, I mean, you know, the animated stuff. So people assume that it's only kids watching it, but there's young adults and adults my age that watch stuff and they get opened up to a whole new thing like the Spectacular Spider-Man and Young Justice. There were so many things that he plucked out from relative obscurity that I didn't even know. I mean, he makes you question your fandom. You know? <laughs> You're like, I can't believe I didn't know that. You know, and then and he opens up now with this book, like, it's so interesting and really valuable to open this up, you know, to younger generations. It piques interest. It's really cool. Though I do want to say, Greg, since it is such virgin territory, you can always just take claim for that and take credit for creating it entirely. Just putting that out there. <laughs> He's no better than Columbus then. I think that's what Jack and Stan did with Thor. Is that, you know, they, they didn't acknowledge that they got it from it. Look, I, I'm proud of myself, honestly. I mean, that sounds obnoxious, but I am. I'm proud of these books. I'm proud of myself, proud of the work. And I don't want to undercut that or claim some kind of false modesty. But there's just no doubt that the more research I did, the more I found. It wasn't like, geez, what am I going to do now? How am I going to eke something out of this? What I am doing is creating a sort of coherent narrative for this mythology, uh, much like you'd have to do if you were doing a book on Greek mythology. There are all these stories, and some of them overlap, and some of them, the timing isn't quite consistent with Theseus, you know, on the Argo with Jason. But since Medea shows up and tries to kill Theseus, it, you know, it doesn't all fit together nicely all the time. So you have to come up with a coherent schema for it. I'm doing that with this. So, for example, the myth of the vampire and the myth of the mermaid are completely separate myths in this mythology. And I found a way to tie them together that I think is interesting. So you're that writer uh, coming along after Wolverine has appeared in like six different books and explaining how he was able to be in all those different places at the same time in a trade later. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm kind of doing that. But to me, that's a fun exercise. You know, I enjoy that kind of thing, you know, creating whether it's going through 60 years of Spider-Man continuity or 75 years of DC Comics continuity and pulling something coherent out of it, that's my bread and butter. I love doing that. And we did the same thing on Gargoyles. And, and the thing is, is that Rain the Ghost, when I originally developed it, it was one of the first things I worked on after Gargoyles. So a lot of the Gargoyle sensibility is present there. So then... 
that would mean that the Prospero Keys are named as such because the Shakespearean character is a real person and somehow influenced that landscape? Um, Shakespeare is a major element in the book series as a whole. I'm not going to reveal how yet, but it's an important <laughs> element. And I've been consciously dropping hints in the first two books about that. And those hints will continue and they'll play up, particularly in the third book, will start to play in bigger and bigger as we go. Good, good. <laughs> I'm just getting more excited. Well, get excited for a musical interlude, and we'll be right back with Greg and Eric. To play off the mysterious island theme of Reign of the Ghosts, here's a rendition of a track from the classic point-and-click adventure, The Secret of Monkey Island. This is Voodoo, Roots, and Grog by Digidis and Alex Jones, and this track represents the dread pirate LeChuck in Overclocked Remix and the Bad Dudes Heroes vs. Villains mixtape. Obviously, dear listeners, you can follow the links on this episode's page to the Rain of the Ghost Audio Play Kickstarter and also to where you can buy these novels. But since we got these fine fellows on the line, it would behoove us to keep the line of inquiry going. <laughs> Eric, I hear you're an avid comic fan. I'm a huge comic geek. I've loved comics since I was a kid. I mean, I'm, I'm actually an artist as well. Like, I'm not a professional, but I mean, in my spare time, I'm just drawing superheroes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this, and not just because he's on the line. Kanan, Last Padawan, best of the new Star Wars books? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's a great character, too. I mean, I, I love that character. He's, uh, he's Han Solo-ish, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and I'm always, I'm always a big Han Solo fan, so I, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, Kanan, yeah. I've actually been incredibly impressed with all the Star Wars books. And I have to admit, even a, a little skeptical as I started reading them, just because it's like, really, we're going to mine this turf again. Um, <laughs> and yet I read Star Wars and I read Darth Vader. I haven't gotten around to reading the Leia book yet, but I will. And I'm like, whoa, no, this is great. I want more of this. I was really impressed with them and really intimidated, frankly. Well, you have risen to the challenge, sir. Well, thanks. I think a lot of the credit really should go to our artist, Pepe Laras, and our colorist, uh, David Curiel, because the fact of the matter is, is their work is so gorgeous, I could have written a shopping list, and it would have turned out great. Kanan goes and buys some melons. (laughs) Confirmed for issue three, Kanan goes shopping. (laughs) That'll be issue four, probably. (laughs) Brings a whole Um, new definition to Order 66. Oh, God. (laughs) You are awful. I am. <laughs> Eric, did you know about Blue Beetle before uh, you got cast as Blue Beetle? 
Yeah, I actually did. I, I was familiar with uh, Ted Cord Blue Beetle because I'm a huge Booster Gold fan. Woo! So I was, uh, mm-hmm. I liked all their team ups. And when I first found out that they were passing the torch onto a you know a young Chicano kid, you know from the Southwest, I was like, hell yeah, man! You know, because I grew up in Arizona, so I can kind of relate. And when they cast, well, I didn't know at first that this is a big story at all the panels is that we didn't know when we were auditioning that, that we were auditioning for these particular characters. It was like there's a Cloud Ninja and Storm Ninja, and I'm not sure which one Blue Beetle was, but uh, I had to do these two voices, like a it was like a voice in the ninja's head, and that was the voice of the Scarab. So I had no idea, and my agent didn't even tell me before I went into the session. So I was going in thinking I was recording like Cloud Ninja or something, <laughs> and then uh, Greg shows, oh, it's Greg. I was like, cool, you know. And Greg shows me the artwork and and uh, and tells me who I'm playing, and like, oh man, I was just. I was like so excited because I I'd auditioned for uh, I think I got to read for Aqualad when they're casting the first season, and obviously I, I didn't get it, but uh, and I, I was really bummed. I wanted to be on it so bad. So then when I went in and I found out that I was in season two, I was, and then I found out how big this his story arc was. Oh man, I was so excited. It's like the, it's so far to this point in my voiceover career. It's like the greatest thing I've done. I love it. It's, it's my greatest role. Oh, you so killed cool. it. You... Uh, until you got to play Ramon. <laughs> and then I, yeah, and then I get to play Ramon, but obviously, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, Blue Beetle, man. <laughs> so what you're saying is that yeah. later on in Reign of the Ghosts, Ramon is going to have some kind of an alien technology graft to his spine and help, yeah, help Reign through. Don't give away all my secrets, man. <laughs> so, if we can get like an alien starfish or something, you know, that connects itself to his spine and he can, you know, form the suit and some blaster cannons, like some Ghostbuster technology. <laughs> all right, confirmed. Reign of the Ghosts, DC New 52, Ghostbusters, same continuity. Oh, wow. <laughs> we'll throw in a little molten man in there, too, just for the hell of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, you're just, you truly are trying to unify all this comics history into one solid story. It actually is natural to me because when I was a little kid and first started reading comics, I didn't get that there were two major comic book companies. You know, I love superheroes. And you'd see Spider-Man and Captain America team up in an issue. And then, you know, you'd see Batman and uh, Green Lantern team up in an issue. I had no idea initially that I next month I might see Batman and Captain America team up. It took me, I'm not kidding, maybe I was dense or just not too attentive to labels on the cover, but it took me a while to realize that there were two universes here and they didn't cross over. So when I was a kid and they did that first Superman-Spider-Man crossover, that was like the best thing ever, you know, kind of feel for me. <laughs> so the fact that, that I would love, I, I would really love nothing more than to have enough money <laughs> to buy Marvel and DC and just combine them once and for all. Just sort of say to everybody, yeah, I'm going to do a reboot here. It'll be the last reboot ever until after I'm dead. And, uh, <laughs> we're going to combine these universes once and for all and make it all coherent and cohesive. And you're going to love it or else. Oh, man. <laughs> Announcing Greg's next Kickstarter, Let Me Do It Right. We're going to help you raise enough money to buy not only those two companies, but also the parent companies of Warner Brothers and Disney. That shouldn't be hard. No. What would it cost to buy all of Time Warner and Disney? <laughs> that couldn't be much more than what I need for rain. You know? No, probably not. I mean, Call that the stretch goal. You know? <laughs> Speaking of stretch goals, we haven't actually mentioned rewards yet. 
The most popular reward is currently answering machine messages from your cast. I see voicemail messages in prize packages a, a lot. I've never picked one up. I'm always curious, like, what are those like? Have, have either of you done those before for random no, we people? will be. <laughs> <laughs> it's like for someone who wants to hear the voice of Blue Beetle say, you have reached my buddy John Smith or whatever. We'll do that. We also offer video shout outs instead if you just want to you know, a quick video shout out where the actor says hello to you on camera. We'll do that instead. You know, if someone's dying to hear civics teacher Lucas Carr give their voicemail message, I'm available. (laughs) Or I can do it in the voice of commando number two from Gargoyles. Or we could even have your your little girl voice from earlier. (laughs) (laughs) People want that, I'll do it. I'm, I've got no shame. <laughs> we have other great rewards, too. We've got three gorgeous pieces of art, one by Pepe Laras, who's the uh, artist on Star Wars Kanan, The Last Padawan, one by Christopher Jones, who was the artist on uh, the Young Justice comic book, one by Kuni Tamida, who was the original development artist on Reign of the Ghost back when we were developing it as an animated series in the late 90s. We've got autographed CD sets. We've got downloads of the map and everything else, you know, uh, of the audiobook, obviously. You can even, if you're feeling it, you can become an associate producer of this thing and have your name read in the credits of the book out loud as part of the audio play. A few people have done this, sign up to have dinner with myself and members of the cast. And th- there's one prize that no one's taken us up on either, though, which is um, I'll come speak at your group and that kind of thing. So that's a big reward that no one's taken us up on yet. So it's still available. There's time yet. You mentioned uh, one of the artists who was on the project originally when it was a a television series. I've never seen anything from that. Has any of the original work on it as a television series surfaced anywhere publicly? At book signings, if people buy both books, usually I give them the Xerox copies of the original character designs of Rain, Charlie, Miranda, and Bastion. Oh, neat. So individuals have seen it because if they've come to one of my book signings, but mostly no. I mean, uh, not a lot of work was done on the art side. I wrote the Bible and I wrote the script and did a bunch of research for it, but uh, the show didn't get picked up. So we never got that far down the road on it. But, you know, we do have these designs. And so we use those as inspiration for not just Cooney's work, but also showed those designs to Chris and to as well. Greg, you were an executive producer and a writer for the first season of Star Wars Rebels. Uh, then news broke that you stepped back in the second season, but of course you're still writing the amazing Kanan comic book. I was curious what your experience was like doing that first season and what led you to uh, step back from it in the second season. It was great. When I came aboard, uh, the show had been created by Dave Filoni, Simon Kinberg, Carrie Beck. So I came aboard as showrunner to try and take these great creations. All six members of the Ghost crew were already created. The Inquisitor was already part of it. The basics of it were all there, all the fundamental things. But one of the things that I suggested when I got in there is, look, we need to know the backstories of all these characters. And they did already to a small extent, but I'm like, we really need to know who these characters were so that we can tell the writers that'll inform how they write these scripts, even if we don't show these backstories ever, it's important to know this stuff. And we needed to be able to tell the actors. So we sat down with Vanessa Marshall and told her about Hera's history. We sat down with Steve Bloom and 
talk to him about Zeb's history, and of course with Freddie Prince Jr. to talk to him about Kanan's backstory. But one of the things that I was sort of aware of, even as I was suggesting we do this, was that other than Ezra, who's sort of the focus character of the series, I knew that a lot of this material would never see the light of day because, once again, you're limited to having only 22 minutes of screen time. So we had these great stories, but when and how would we reveal them? So when I got the email initially and then the phone call saying, hey, let's do Kanan's backstory as a comic book, I was so psyched because we had all this great material and finally it would get to see the light of day. So a good 90% of this Kanan five-issue arc that launched this book is all stuff that Simon and Dave and the Lucasfilm Story Group and I came up with right at the beginning of pre-production. And it all comes from that team effort. That's really neat. And it is actually, I, I feel, the best first issue of any of the new Marvel Star Wars books. Great Weissman, man. Yeah, Great right. <laughs> Eric, are you working on anything currently you can talk about? No, no, nothing I can talk about. It's all NDAs and, yeah, I can't really talk about anything yet. I'm always waiting, and then, like, it'll air or it'll, I'll see a release date, and I'm like, oh, hey, I guess I can talk. I gotta, I gotta kind of gauge when I could talk about stuff. In, in that case, what comics are you reading right now? Right now, I just picked up Big Man Plans. Yes! Have you, have you guys read that? He's so Dude, good. How good is that? Oh, man. It's so gritty, and it's, it's man, it's out there, but I like it. It's pretty cool. I just picked up the second issue uh, this week, and I haven't read it yet. I'm, I'm saving it for when I can actually sit. i got to sit down, you know, and I put in theme music. I put in my headphones, and I'll pick, you know, i got a lot of, like, movie scores, and I'll pick the right one for the nice. movie. I'm, I'm real geeky about it, you know. I gotta, well, <laughs> it's that, like, you know, <laughs> it's a movie night. That's great, and that's a perfect book for it. For anyone not familiar, that's the new, I don't know if it's a limited series or what, but the new book from Eric Powell, creator of The Goon, Ooh, ooh. And it is, it is twisted and funny. And yeah, yeah. I, I, I was so unfamiliar good. with it, and now I know I need all of it in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm also um, always staying up with, uh, I'm a huge fan of Snyder and Capullo's Batman right mm. now. It's just, man, the artwork, it's just, oh, it's that, ridiculous, man. I love Greg Capullo. I've been a huge fan. Him and Jim Lee are like my two like top guys that I try to emulate whenever I'm sketching. Those dudes are awesome. And Snyder and Capullo, that is a marriage made in heaven. For sure. It's no surprise to anybody who enjoys comics. The New 52 has been rough patches, and the one consistent beacon of excellence has been Batman. Yeah. Greg, I don't suppose you have time to read comics in your busy schedule. Really, the comics I'm reading now are the Star Wars comics, and I'm having trouble keeping up with those. Like, the television I'm watching now is from January. <laughs> um, you know, people told me Kickstarter was hard work, but I don't think they sold that notion to me enough. Because <laughs> we've got till April 29th to fund this thing, and we're almost halfway there, which is pretty good, but not putting us in a position where we can sort of sit back and go, yeah, this will make it. It is a beast, and, and this is an APB we're putting out for anybody who's ever loved anything that this man has ever done. You got to go to this Kickstarter, you got to fund it. Trust me, it's worthwhile. Greg and Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having us, man. Thanks a lot. Really yeah, really, really appreciate you guys taking the time for us and for Rain. We're not going to just usher you to any old Kickstarter and ask that you give your money, but this is something we feel very strong about here at Nerdy Show. Well, basically anything Greg Weissman touches, but uh, this Rain of the Ghost project is amazing. Now, we didn't list the names of people involved in it yet. I think we should. Just to give you a, a feel for the scope, Tom Adcox, Ed Asner, Jeff Bennett, Steve Bloom, Danielle Bobadilla, Jim Cummings, Elisa Gabrielli, 
Brighton James, Josh Keaton, Eric Lopez, of course, Vanessa Marshall, Jacqueline Obadors, Greg Wainwater, Marina Sirtis, Brent Spiner, Deborah Strang, Joel Sueto, and Jacob Vargas. And uh, if you don't recognize any of those names, well, uh, maybe you should just head over to the Kickstarter page where they tell you where all they're from, and you'll think, oh, damn. It's essentially why you should be impressed. Yeah, because it is a very is, impressive list. It, it really is. I mean, Josh Keaton was the spectacular Spider-Man. I'm just saying. And his meme series where he reads the Spider-Man memes from the internet is hilarious. Links to that here, too. Yep, we got you linked. Now we've been talking Star Wars a lot. Well, Star Wars Celebration is this week. We are going to be there. I'm going to be there. And so's Doug. And so's Matt. Basically, the crew of State of the Empire, our Star Wars speculation podcast, where we look for news in Alderaan places, are going to be for once in the right place. And that is at Star Wars Celebration. We're going to be there on site. If you're going to be there too, drop us a line in the Nerdy Show forums or on Twitter, wherever. Let us know and uh, we could do a meetup. That would be really awesome. And I'll hear about it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, jerks. But if you're not going to make it out there, that's okay. We're out there for you. We got you covered. We're going to be reporting back on everything we see, heard, and did at Star Wars Celebration this year on a brand new episode of State of the Empire next week. It's going to be just like you were there, except you weren't like me. Don't be such a sourpuss, Tony. Sorry. I'm saving you the trouble. I'm abbreviating everything. Yes, it's very likely that I'm going to see the new trailer for, you know, episode seven about a month before you will. Yes, I understand that that's what's going to happen. However, I'm letting the hate grow within me. <laughs> I've searched my feelings. I know this to be true. Mm -hmm. And the following week, if you like talking about animation, then uh, we've got a treat for you. We're doing the latest installment of our Lightning Dog series. That's actually a concept that we accidentally created while on the air, talking about the cancellation of Young Justice and the sad fates befalling all the dramatic television animation around that time. And it spawned what has become our own thus so far fictional, but we'll see, animated series about a group of uh, anthropomorphic dogs from a dog planet who come to a post-apocalyptic Earth from where they descended, ruled over by the evil Glampire, and it's kind of like a road warrior plus Stargate plus Ninja Turtles. With lightning powers. Heavy metal kind of affair, yeah, with powers. Not all of which are lightning-based. Not all of them are lightning-based, but you know what? I'm going to call them lightning powers because... Anyway, they're called the lightning dogs. They are the lightning dogs. So ever since we recorded that first accidental creation of lightning dogs, we've been brainstorming that sucker ever since, and it's been one of the most popular things we've done. So We've got some exciting stuff coming up with it, so stay tuned. Yeah, yeah, we're still at it. If you want more, well, you can follow the links on this episode's page, or go to lightningdogs.com, and you'll be redirected to the library where you can uh, start at the very beginning. And I mentioned the Dungeons and Doritos remasters earlier in the episode. Well, we'll link to where you can check those out on this episode's page. It's our epic tabletop role-playing podcast. It's essentially a radio play. Yeah, but fully improvised. Absolutely. Back in the early days, we were still learning how to record stuff. They were very popular, but uh, they were also, like, they were really very rough. rough. I, I've always felt bad about how rough they were, so we were able to go in, we fully remastered them, and uh, they don't have the original score and the music like our new shows do. But um, we restored their audio quality fully, and uh, I'm, I'm really pleased with how they turned out. So people can start listening to D&D &D from the beginning uh, we even, the right we, way. We now. even remastered the title artwork for it. I did something for it, and you can actually see the process of that being put together over at Sketchling's Draws on our YouTube channel. Hooray! I did things, and you get to watch it. Cool. Yeah, yeah, and we'll, we'll link to that too. What we should mention in closing is that with the inevitability that you purchase the Reign of the Ghost books, 
in addition to funding their Kickstarter, if you do that through our Amazon links, whether you go to nerdyshow.com slash Amazon or follow the links to the books directly on this episode's page, you will in turn fund Nerdy Show. We are entirely listener supported, and so we rely on you to help support the entire network. And also Greg Wiseman. Yes, of course. So we got two major avenues for that. That's buying things on Amazon through our links and also subscribing to us on Patreon, where we'll give you a ton of cool perks, including some outtakes from this episode. There will be a few. Yeah, there will be a few. (laughs) When Cap and Tony get together, there will be a few. Aha! Taking us out is a track that um, if you're under a certain age, your parents might find objectionable. And uh, FYI, with a few noteworthy exceptions, pretty much everything on the Nerdy Show Network is not all ages. This episode is a, uh, a rare exception in that miraculously no F-bombs were dropped. But uh, since we've been talking about mysterious and unusual mermaids, this is a track by Bone Cage from his 2014 record Fish Food. And uh, it's some practical advice for if you were looking to get into a heteronormative relationship with a mermaid, and how if those are your expectations, you might be a little disappointed. This is No Moss Mermaids. Bye, I'm Cap. Goodbye, I have been Tony. And we'll see you next time. Well, you there now, Ariel. I really dig those seashells on your boobies. Can I give you a back massage? Maybe then I could take you to a movie. And if I play my cards right, Maybe I'll get sweet fish love tonight All right, all right But nobody told me You can't sex up a mermaid Whoa, whoa, yo, yo Mermaids just aren't built for having sex with human beings I wish I would have known that I could have saved myself a trip to the bottom of the ocean What a silly notion Having sex with a mermaid well, I'm a man and you're a fish It's okay, I just wish things were different We'd buy a house with a fence and a yard Get a dog, it would try real hard To make it all work out And we'd live the good life And make some babies win It's wrong to breed amphibians. You can't sex up a mermaid. Whoa, whoa, yo, yo. Mermaids just aren't built for having sex with human beings. I wish I would have known that. I could have saved myself a trip to the bottom of the ocean. What a silly notion. Having sex with a mermaid. All this love I have inside.
listening to Nerdy Show. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes or like and follow us on SoundCloud. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network, and there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes and SoundCloud. Leave a comment, like and share, and follow Nerdy Show on all of your favorite social networks. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi. I'm not Greg Weissman, and you're listening to the Nerdy Show. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.